Shalom Aleichem, on behalf of Teach 613, we welcome you to Take 10 for Talmud. We are recording in Silver Spring, Maryland, and are so glad that you can join us. Gitin Samach Aleph, Gitin 61a, pagination is 121. The Gemara about 15 lines from the top, at the beginning of a line, Ein Memachin, quotes from the Mishnah on the previous staff. The Mishnah told us, You don't object or withhold from the non-Jewish poor regarding the tithes that are left in the field for the poor people because of the ways of peace. This is referring to the concept that sometimes we have mitzvahs that are unique to be done between one Jew and the next. We have, for example, the most famous one of not lending money with interest, which is described as a bris achim, a covenant between brothers, where even though when I rent a car, a horse, or a house, I certainly charge rent. When I rent money, I don't charge rent. Even though he's borrowing a commodity which I could use for myself, and I would normally charge in such an application, or could charge, we even have today tool rental. But when it comes to financial borrowing, lending between Jews, you're not allowed to charge interest. That mitzvah is uniquely Jewish. We realize that the banking system basically works with charging interest. And interestingly enough, in the Middle Ages, the non-Jewish world also had prohibitions of usury, and they took advantage of this concept that it was only applicable by a co-religionist and not by someone who was out of their religion, and they used to borrow from Jews. So that's... This concept that sometimes a mitzvah will be unique to the co-religionist. In this case, indeed, the portions that were being left in the field, leket, shikha, and peya, were, according to Torah law, uniquely Jewish. But, mepnei darke shalom, because of the ways of peace, if a non-Jewish poor person would come, we would allow him to collect, we would not object, we would not invoke this technicality, and we would just leave it be, allowing him to collect because of Darke Shalom, because of the ways of peace. To push him away would be provocative, would be objectionable. And this is one example of Darke Shalom. The Gemara uses this as a springboard 
to cite three other cases. Tanurabanan we learned. Mefarnesim aniye nochrim im aniye Yisrael. We support the poor of the non-Jews together with the poor of the Jews. For, that's the first case. Umevakrim chole nochrim im chole Yisrael. And we check into the sick of the non-Jews together with the sick of the Jews. We check on them, see what they need, attend to them. And the third case, And we bury the dead of the non-Jews together with the dead of the Jews. All of these are because of Darke Shalom. The inference presumably is that biblically the mitzvah, as we find by many mitzvahs in its most basic form, has unique parameters. All mitzvahs are like that. Shabbos is like that. Kashrus is like that. There are unique parameters for the mitzvah. And yet, once we take the lead from that original paradigm of the mitzvah, we then go with it and apply it in many, many other cases. And those other cases are correct in being observed, but we need to recognize at least in many cases, we need to recognize that they are different. They're not the same as the original ruling. For example, milk and meat in the laws of Kashrus are not allowed to be cooked together. But by extension, once we have this concept that milk and meat are not allowed to be cooked together, we go ahead based on a variety of laws and we don't mix them at all. And if something would get mixed, it would be considered non-kosher. And that's just a simple example of how the original law in the Torah is a specific type, and then from there we take our lead and we know what else we're supposed to prohibit and follow those guidelines. Generally, there's a significant difference, though, between biblical versus rabbinic or custom or whatever else might exist. And in the case of milk and meat, there's indeed a difference. If it's cooked together, then it's even prohibited in benefit. Not just prohibited in eating, but prohibited in benefit. If, however, it's only prohibited because of rabbinic or custom, etc., then it might be prohibited to eat, but it's not going to be prohibited in benefit. So going back to our Gemara, we're citing three examples. One is to give charity to the poor, and you give out, and if there's a non-Jew collecting together with the Jews, you don't object, and you give them both. The sick, we would visit the sick both. And the burial as well, we would bury both. Now, Rashi points out, Lo Yisrael, when we say that we would bury the non-Jewish dead, that does not mean that we're going to bring them into a Jewish cemetery. There is a strong tradition that the Jewish cemetery is 
a place where Jews are buried, and we do not mix the burial locations. There's a general principle that the person's burial has very much to do with their soul and their soul connection, and a non-Jew and a Jew have different soul connections. Their methods of observance are different, the requirements are different, and the burial would be based on the soul connection, but the responsibility to bury would be accepted uh, regarding both examples. Rashi gives the example of a tragedy. In Matsum Harugim, if you would find people killed, there was a massacre, so we would bury regardless of whether they're Jew or non-Jew. Now, on the word im, with, which is being used here repeatedly in this brysa, there's significant discussion. Does it have to be an example where the Jew and non-Jews are being presented together? Or the word im is not a significant word here. It's just giving you an illustration of Darke Shalom, how it would look terrible if we gave out to people and excluded some. And that's Darke Shalom. You just give generally, generously. But what would happen if the non-Jew came separately? So the way we paskin is that the im is lavdafka, is not a binding word, and it doesn't have to be with and we would give, even if they're not together in the same group, we would still give. And that is all. Darke Shalom. It may not be the original biblical requirement to support a co-religionist, but it's nevertheless included in Darke Shalom. This is described in Yeridea, Reshnun Aleph, Aleph, with the Gaon and the Shach's comments. The Taz in Kufnun Aleph Seif Katan Tes offers a fascinating insight regarding the word Im. Indeed, the Yerushalmi, the Jerusalem Talmud, records this law without the word Im, and the Machaber in Kufnun Aleph Yudbeis does not use the word im, which prompts the Taz to wonder why did the original Brisa use the word im together with, if with is not a requirement for this law to apply. The Taz writes, "B'Yisrael Yesh Mitzvah Min Torah, in classic Talmudic distinction, the logic is that the Yisrael is biblical and the Akum is Darke Shalom. If so, as we began our discussion today, one might think that there would need to be a distinction, like there is by all other biblical rabbinic type laws that we always make a distinction, we're more lenient by the rabbinics, for example. Kamash Malon says the Taz, the Brisa is coming to tell us the 
Baze ein iser imashva osam li Yisrael. There's no objection to equating the support for the Akum with the support for the Yisrael. Kevin Darke Shalom, to the extent it's required for Darke Shalom, you're allowed to equate. Therefore, the Tana wrote, Im Aniyah Yisrael, She'en Iser there's no objection to equating them if that's required for Darke Shalom. Again, one approach to the word Im would be only if the Yisrael and Akum presented themselves together and the word im is a limitation on us. A lessening of the requirement. The Taz's approach in the word im is actually to raise the level of the Darke Shalom because it's Darke Shalom to be allowed to equate one with the other to the extent required. Yeshekoach, thank you for joining.